Welcome to the teaching ministry at Carthus Creek Community Church. Hey, good morning, everyone. Is that an amazing video? I think that's worth a clap. Is that fantastic? So amazing. Well, I'd like you to join me today as we uh, go before God in prayer. This is a significant day for our church. It's a second week with three services. It's a day that thousands and thousands of shoeboxes will be packed and sent off. A huge thank you for the many of you that have sacrificed to do this. We're going to dedicate these shoeboxes. We're also going to dedicate 905 tonight. And as they said, please, if you got the time, come out tonight. Invent friends and family. I'm going to be here and it's going to be a significant night. I, I can't wait to see what God does with all sorts of generations. So why don't you join me now as we go and talk to God together. God, we come to you today as part of Crudders Creek. And we want to start this prayer time by praying the way you told us to. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We worship you. We declare that you're the head of this church. You're God. You're good. You're holy. You're trustworthy. There's nothing evil in you. We can, we can trust you. We thank you that throughout all of time there have been people like us who you've decided to encounter and let us know you and they've all expressed the same thing. You're good and your love endures forever. So thanks for your love this morning. But not only that, this morning, God, we say your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we pray those words as Christians, Lord, and sometimes we forget what they mean. Your kingdom means your reign and your rule is accepted in our lives. God, there's a whole lot of things going on in my life and this church's life that probably don't reflect your will or your reign, and we may not even know about it. Our cry this morning, and we don't just say it because it's churchy, we mean it. God, come and show us where your reign and rule isn't accepted yet. And we pray that in this church, in every family, every child, teen, young adult, uh, every adult, those who are aged among us, all of us as one family, we say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives, in this place, as you desire it in heaven. God, we ask for daily bread. There's so many things going on in our lives in this church. We think about the Deos today. God, they lost their daughter, and we're broken about that. We really are. Comfort them, Lord, with comfort that can only come from you. God, we pray even about our purity, our, our unity, our relationships be, between each other. Give us our daily bread. We pray for tonight's 905 event as all sorts of people are coming who've never done the church scene, have never encountered you. And for us who have had the great experience of meeting you, we pray tonight. Tonight would be the night where people say yes, like that young woman, and they're changed forever. We pray too tonight too, Lord, you draw a lot of people back that used to be with us and aren't anymore. God, we continue to pray for our needs financially in this church. We pray that you would motivate us to sacrificially give the way you call us to. But we also realize, too, that we're not the only church in the community. We thank you that we live in a community where there are many faithful Christians. And so today, we as a family pray for Bayfair Baptist Church. We love them, Lord. Bless them. Fill them with the Spirit of God. Keep them from harm and evil. And we pray, though they're different than us a little bit, we're still united. God, use them powerfully. And Lord, we continue to ask for daily bread, even as Dave is about to speak, that you'd fill him with your Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive us our sins. We've done a lot of things knowingly and unknowingly against you and others and ourselves that are just wrong. God, we, we pray you not only forgive us, but you change us. Lord, help us to forgive other people like you've forgiven us. Lord, we pray over this whole church, too, that you'd lead us away from temptation. And we do pray in the strong name of Jesus that you deliver this whole church and all of that means from the evil one. And we end this prayer time by just saying, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 
We love you, Lord. We're with you. Now speak through your servant, Dave. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, thanks, John. I had absolutely no idea when uh, John asked me to speak this morning that he would go to all this trouble to set up all of this stuff just for me. So, uh, John, I really appreciate it, man. just touches my heart. Thank you so much. Over the years, um, as a pastor, I've been asked one significant question. This question has been the number one question that people have asked me uh, above all other questions that I've ever had as a pastor. And, and you would think, you know, with my great theological training and, and what I received from seminary, that, that the question that people would ask me would have something to do with the nature and the character of God. Or, or you'd think that it, it would be something about church history or, or, um, or, or something, something about church working and church politics or something along that line. But actually, the number one question that people have asked me over the years has absolutely nothing to do with theology or with running a church or anything along that lines. And whether people have asked me this question in the context of their life as a whole or whether they've asked me this question in the context of specific circumstances that they're facing right at the moment, the question is always the same question. And maybe you've asked this question. Maybe you've asked a friend, a trusted friend, or a colleague, or a pastor, the same question. But here it is. Here's the number one question that I have been asked in youth ministry, and as a youth pastor, and then as a senior pastor in previous churches. It's this. Pastor, how do I know what God's will is for me? Many of you, I'm assuming, have asked the same question. And that's what we're going to address this morning in this study as we continue on in the book of James, looking at a normal Christian life. We come to James chapter 4, verses 13 through to 17, and James wants to help us address this particular question, and that's what I'm going to unpack for you this morning as we look at the scriptures together. I have a real sense this morning, and I think I need to say this at the start, that I think today is really going to be a significant day for many of you who are here in the auditorium and for those who are choosing to watch online or to listen online. I think today is going to be a really significant day. And so I just humbly ask you to be open to what God might speak into your heart today. I'm glad that I can just stand up here and teach the scriptures to you. I don't know what's going on in your heart and in your mind or what your circumstances are in your life. But I would ask that you be open to the voice of God today as he might speak to you. So this morning, as you think about God's will for you and about your future, I'd like to draw your attention to this passage in James where James talks about three common problems that all of us fall into, that all of us encounter at one point in time in our lives. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at some possible solutions, some prescriptions for these particular uh, problems that each one of us face. So let's just jump right into James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. The first problem that I see here in the book of James is planning without God. Planning without God is a problem. James illustrates the problem with a typical conversation that was probably going on in his church. And James is going to let us kind of hear in, listen in a little bit on this particular problem by listening to uh, two businessmen in the church in James's time. I can imagine these two people with a bit of a sanctified imagination. 
You know, the one guy's got an MBA from the University of Jerusalem, and the other guy is a CEO of a Fortune Tel Aviv 500 company. And they're talking and they're discussing their plans. And they're talking about what they're going to be doing. And then James, in verse 13, he lets us drop right into the conversation. And James says this, in James chapter 4 and verse 13, he says, Now listen to you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or to that city. We'll spend a year there. We'll carry on business and we'll make money. Normal conversation. And remember, James is, James is writing to a church, a church just like our church. And these, these two guys I'm imagining are having this conversation and they're talking about their business plan and they're talking about where they want to go and what they're going to do. And, and, and they've got all of the details. They've got a lot of stuff worked out. They know exactly where they're going. They know how much time they're going to spend there. They know what the plan is. They know what the hoped outcome is. So what's wrong with this? Is there anything wrong with this plan? I think the thing that James is going to point out to us that's wrong with this is there's no mention of God in the plan. There's no mention of God at all. They know exactly what they want to do. They know how they're going to get there. They know how much time they're going to spend there. They know what their strategy is. They know what their outcome is. They've got it all planned out, James is saying, but nowhere in their plan do they mention God. And James is helping us with this because so many of us never consult God in our planning. We work out all the details. We run the numbers. We make the right contacts. We make sure everything looks good. And then when the future comes along and things don't work out the way we had planned for them to work out, we go, hey, God, where are you? Why didn't you help me in this thing? And God says, you, you never consulted me in the whole process. You never came to me in the midst of all of your plans. And it doesn't have to be just a business plan. We're talking about where you go to school, about what your family does, about where you live and what your job is, and all, all kinds of realms of our lives. I'm convinced the older I get that more and more many of us live as practical atheists. Let me explain that. We believe that God exists but we actually live as if he doesn't. There's so many of us that I have encountered through the years who can sit down and tell you all kinds of stuff about God, about God and the Bible, and can just, just recite all kinds of things to you. But if we were to let you into the inner recesses of our lives, if we were to let you into the places that we protect and the places that we don't let anybody else go to, I think what we would find out is that there's little or no evidence that we really live in light of the God that we say that we follow. And James is pointing this out for us, that we need to include God in all of our plans, in all of the areas of our lives. So what's the solution for this problem, number one, of planning without God? Can I suggest that the solution is to follow God's will? Include God in your plans, James says. Look at what he says in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Now, James is not just, you know, making up a saying so that, you know, you walk around and you say, hey, see you tomorrow, and you go, yeah, if it's the Lord's will, I will, right? See you at Chicken Christian this afternoon. Oh, if it's the Lord's will, I will. It's not just a saying that we're supposed to do, but what James is trying to say is, look, when you plan every area of your life, 
Make sure that you are living according to God's will. And we need to circle or underline in our Bibles if, if it is the Lord's will. Have you ever noticed, like I've noticed, that even the best laid plans of mice and men often fall through? Planning without God is so presumptuous. And if we're going to live a normal Christian life, then we need to follow God's will. But I know what your question is. But Dave, how do we know what God's will is? That's the question. Well, I can't tell you exactly what God's will is for your life. That's a matter between you and the Lord. But here's what my personal experience has been as someone who has tried to live and tried to understand God's will for my life over the years. I'm going to just share four things with you that, are, that I've found helpful for me. Now, before I share these, let me also say to you, there are a whole bunch of things that are in the Scripture that are automatically God's will for every follower of His, for every child of His. Take the Ten Commandments, for example. They're applicable to all of us as Christians. You know, we're not to commit adultery. We're not to steal. We're not to lie. We're not to covet. We're to only worship God and Him alone. We're to rest and take a Sabbath. New Testament is full of things that say, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We're to pray continually, to rejoice in all circumstances. There's a whole bunch of global things that are God's will for all of His followers. But I know the question that you and I are asking is not the global things. We're asking, what are the specific things for me that are God's will? And that's a matter for you to work out with God. God's not playing some cat and mouse game with you. God's not not stingy in terms of letting his will be known to you. But there are some prerequisites, I want to suggest, to knowing God's will. Back when I was in university, uh, seems like 100 years ago, there were some courses you'd get to and, and you'd be looking into the catalog ahead and you'd be like, oh, wow, that course looks awesome. That is an awesome course. Finally, not a boring economics course, but a course that I'm really excited about. And then you'd look right away, and you'd go, what are the prerequisites for the course? And if you didn't have the prerequisites, you just couldn't take the course. And for knowing God's will, I want to suggest to you that there are some prerequisites that you and I need to be able to check off in our lives on a continual basis. Let me share them with you just by way of encouragement for those of you who are seeking after God's will. The first one is this, that you need to be saved. We need to be people of faith. We need to be in a relationship with God because I have found over the years that coming to know God's will is a whole less about predicting the future for my life and a whole lot more about being in a right relationship with God. God wants intimacy with me and he wants intimacy with you. And in the midst of that intimacy... God is willing to share with us what his will for our lives is. And so we need to be people of faith. I'm going to talk about that a bit more in a second. But not only do we need to be saved, but we need to be spotless too. And by this I mean that we need to make sure that there are no areas of ongoing sin in our lives. And that we need to be keeping short accounts with God and with other people. Unconfessed sin is a block in our lives to knowing and understanding the will of God. Take a look through the rest of the book of James that we've been looking at. Over and over again, James keeps hammering back at these themes about watching our tongue and about watching our lives and, and, and about being in right relationship with each other and with God. Why? Because it's so vitally important to knowing and understanding the will of God for our lives. 
So we need to be saved, we need to be spotless, but we also need to be surrendered. We need to have a posture before God where we're willing to let go and to let God have control of every area of our lives. And I think as North Americans, we struggle hugely with this issue. You know, I think secretly, a whole lot of us are afraid to surrender to God because somehow we think our plan is just better for our lives than God's plan is for our lives. And given the circumstances that you grew up in, maybe, maybe you're just afraid of God. Maybe you think God's actually going to do something to you like he's some mean father in the sky. And if you were to give up control of everything and surrender fully to God, that he'd just mess your whole life up. We need to have a posture of being surrendered to God. We can't hold back anything. It's futile, by the way, because God knows everything anyways. So we need to be saved, we need to be spotless, we need to be surrendered, but finally let me say the prerequisite too is that we need to be submissive. We must be willing to say yes before we get the plan from God. See, we can't approach God and, and ask for his will to be, re- uh, to be revealed in our lives if we're going to hold back something for God. If we're going to go to the God of heaven and earth and we're going to say to him, this is a conditional deal between me and you. As long as you don't touch these areas, as long as you meet these conditions, then God, if you meet all of my conditions, then I will follow your will. And we smile, but we do it. We do it. We need to be able to say yes before we even, e- even hear the answers from God. And following God's will is just so much more about an intimate relationship with our Lord and our Savior than it is looking at God as our, as our on-star system. Jen bought a, a new car just before we moved here. The, the, the deals were so great, and our other 1987 Pontiac 6000, God rest its soul, died. I loved that car. I loved that car. My kids called it the poverty mobile. <clears throat> but I loved it. And uh, so Jen got this car, and it's a GM, so it comes with OnStar. And so, you know, you just hit that little blue button, and there's somebody right there. And you're just, you know, for fun. You're just driving down the road, and you're going, bonk, OnStar ready. How can I help you? You're like, where's the nearest McDonald's? <laughs> you're just Josh, just yanking her chain, you know? It's really good. You should try it. It's really fun, you know? Where's my house? You know, it's, you can ask them anything. They'll tell you. It's, re- it's really cool. Who's in the back seat with me? <laughs> you know? It's really fun. You can do all kinds of stuff. And I think a lot of us treat God and knowing God's will like the OnStar system. We just press the button, and God's going to give us the next five steps in our life. God's going to reveal the next year or two. And it's way more potent about being in this intimate relationship with this loving God and being at the heart and in the center of his will than it is knowing the future and knowing what the next six months are going to look like. And God desires that relationship way more than he desires anything else. Well, problem number two that I see in the text here that James gives us is presuming, presuming about tomorrow. Most of us think that we are indestructible, that we're invincible, that we're going to live forever. But look at what verses 14 and 16 of James chapter 4 says. James says these words. He says, Why, you, don't even, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. 
What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. There are a couple of reasons why we can't presume about tomorrow. First one is this, because life is just brief. Verse 14, you're a mist. I'm a mist. I mean, it's not super encouraging, but have you ever looked at how the Bible talks about us as human beings and about our lives, about the words and the pictures that God uses to describe our lives? He says, we are a leaf. Wow. A leaf. I mean, we've, we're just coming through fall. We've had an extended fall, but all the leaves are gone. They, they spring up, and they come in the spring, and they flourish, and they come out in all of their splendor, and then just a few short months later, they're gone. God says our lives are like grass. In the morning, it's green, and, and, but then when the sun comes out and beats down and it dries all up, the, the Bible says the grass just withers and fades away. God says our lives are like a mist or like vapor. And what God is trying to communicate to you and me, the God who loves us so much and who gave his son for us, but he wants us to understand that life is brief. And that in light of eternity, we are just a whisper. We are just a vapor. And we cannot presume upon the fragility of life. Life is so brief. You know, someone has said jokingly, there are only three Ds in life, right? Diapers, dignity, and decay. And it just talks about how brief life really is. We can't take tomorrow for granted. But there's a second reason why we can't take tomorrow for granted, and that is because life is so unpredictable. Not only is it brief, and that's bad enough, but it's also unpredictable. Verse 16, James says, As it is, you boast and you brag, and all such boasting is evil. None of us know what tomorrow is going to hold, James says, and yet we strut around with our chests puffed up and we say about what we're going to do tomorrow. Oh, I got plans. Oh, I know what I'm going to be. I know where I'm going to go to school. I know who I'm going to marry. I know what I'm going to do. And James says, don't presume about the future. Life is brief, but it is so uncertain and so unpredictable. And we haven't included God in our planning and we brag as if we are in control of tomorrow and we are not in control of tomorrow, friends. It's really interesting. You know the word that James uses here for boasting and bragging in the Greek is a picture word, as many of the Greek words are. It's a picture word of the, of the traveling salesman who goes around and makes these claims about his product, but it's just really a scam, in the early frontier days, this word would be the medicine man who is literally selling snake oil. And James says that's how we are in God's eyes. We come along and we boast and we brag and we tell about what we are going to do in the future. And James says, God is trying to tell you life is so brief and it's just so unpredictable. You can't make your claims. Your claims don't hold water. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1 says this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Life is so unpredictable. None of us 
will know, and none of us can know what this afternoon, what this evening, what tomorrow, what this week, what this month, what this year can bring. None of us know what's in store for us. So what's the prescription? What's the solution for problem number two? Can I suggest to you that James is telling us to make the most of today? We can't let the uncertainty of the future rob us of the opportunities that we have in the present. We live in the moment. We live in the now. And the future won't frighten us if we're living in the center of God's will and we're living for today. Someone has said that what we need to do is we need to plan as if we're going to live for a thousand years, but we need to live as if today was our very last day. One time, Jesus' disciples came to him and they said, Jesus, we noticed that John taught his disciples how to pray. How about you teach us how to pray? And we know what the outcome of that particular interaction was, and, and it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus taught the disciples a model prayer. And I know a lot of us repeat it, and it's okay to repeat it, and John referenced it in his prayer this morning, but it's a model prayer of how we are to pray. And if you look at it and you look at the details of it, it's a daily prayer. It's meant to be done over and over again. We are meant to come before God every single day. And in the midst of that prayer, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, Jesus says these really familiar words. He says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, you know what really struck me this week in looking at the Lord's prayer again? is that Jesus links the coming of the kingdom of God to doing the will of God today. That how we see God's kingdom come in our church and in our area, in our family lives, is by doing the will of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here in my life as it is in heaven. And friends, this is so important for us because the implication is absolutely crystal clear. And it's this, that if we are not doing the will of God, then we're holding back the kingdom of God. And you and I need to make the most of today. We need to plan as if we're going to live for a thousand years, but we need to live as if today is our very last day. Well, let's move to problem number three that I see in the text here. Postponing doing good. The third problem is putting off doing what needs to be done today. I call this spiritual procrastination. Look at verse 17. James says, Anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. It's typical James. It's just so straightforward and right to the point. Anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. We need to underline the words knows and doesn't do it. Some of you know what you need to do. Maybe you've been putting it off for a while. Maybe for some of you here today, you need to give up a bad habit. Maybe it's a broken relationship that needs restoration and fixing. Maybe it's giving in to God in a particular area of your life. Maybe it's becoming fully surrendered to God. Maybe it's saying yes before God even reveals to you what it is he's asking you to do. Maybe it's honoring God with your time and with your money. If you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, 
well, it's kind of okay. Is that what James says? No. What does the scripture say? If you know the good that you ought to do and you do not do it, you sin. It's, it's straightforward and yet it has enormous implications. Procrastination is a subtle trap. We presume upon tomorrow and we'll say to ourselves, oh, I'll get around to it. But God says you do not have any guarantees about tomorrow. Don't put off doing what is right to do and what you know you need to do as a follower of mine. There's a song that we sing all the time here at C4, and I think the team's going to do it right after this. The song is a Hillsong song, and it's called Hosanna. I like it. It's a really great song. But there's a, a few lines in this particular song that every time we sing this song, it grips me. It really grips me. Here's the lines. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom cause. As I walk from earth into eternity. And we sing it. But really? Really? Is, like, is this what we mean? I had a seminary professor who I just loved, he used to say all the time to us as students, you know what, Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them. And I think about them when I sing this song. But really, do we really mean this? Do I mean this when I sing it? Do you mean it when we sing it? You see, we already know what breaks God's heart. We don't have to come to God and say to him, okay, God, we're going to sing this really cool song and, uh, you know, you know, let the things that break your heart break mine. I wonder what they are. We don't have to do that because we already know what breaks God's heart. We already know the good that we ought to be doing right now. And yet for many of us, we don't do it. And James says, that's sin. What am I talking about? Well, what about the plight of the orphan and the widow, both here, right here in this church, and around the world? What about the suffering of the sick? What about the abuse of the marginalized? What about the injustice, the poverty, and the perversion that's in our world today? And what about the hopelessness of those who are lost and going to die without Jesus Christ? See, those things and so many more break the heart of Almighty God, and yet I know that so often in my life I can become cold and callous towards those things. Oh, God, break our hearts with the things that break your heart. And then do we throw everything I am for your kingdom cause? If I'm, a, if I'm willing to be open to God breaking my heart with the things that break his heart, am I willing to say, okay, well, God, you can have me on, uh, let's see, Sunday mornings, that's your day, cool, so you got me there, and uh, I'll volunteer during the week once a week, Thursday night, you got me Thursday night too. But what do we sing, and what does the scripture require of us? Everything. Everything I am for your kingdom cause. And we sing it. I'm not sure that we really mean it. Because it's so easy to sing, but it is so hard to live out. 
Think about what we could be and should be doing as individuals and corporately in the region of Durham and around the world. If we just, if we just sold out everything for God and we let the things that break his heart truly, truly break our hearts. So you're saying, what does that look like, Dave? I thought you'd ask that. Over the years, I have found there are two foolproof tests in my own personal life and in the lives of those who have been willing to kind of walk with me close enough to allow me to speak into their lives a little bit. And I'm going to share them with you just briefly now. There are two tests that we can all take that help us to see if we're doing the will of God right now. Here they are. What am I doing with my time? And what am I doing with my money? It's that simple. It is absolutely that simple. Am I presuming about tomorrow? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your money? Am I postponing doing the good that I know I should be doing and sinning as a result of it, Dave? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your money? See, God doesn't need your time and he doesn't need your money. But they show him how much you love him and how much of a follower you are of his. They acknowledge his lordship in our lives. So what's the prescription for problem number three? Decide today. Quite simply, just decide today. Just decide that today you've had enough and that things are going to change from this point on. Don't try to work it all out. Don't try and plan it all. And, and don't go to all those thousands of detailed questions about the future. Make a decision today and stand by that decision today and put yourself in the heart and in the center of the will of God and trust Him to work it all out. You don't have to figure it all out. He's God and you and I are not. Whatever you intend to do for God, do it now. Whatever decision that you've been putting off, do it now. Do it today. However God has been tugging at your heart, either this morning or lately, decide today and do it today. Let me speak to two groups of people as I prepare to close. The first group are those of you who are watching and who are listening and who are present here today who are genuine, honest seekers. From my heart, I absolutely applaud you for being here and for, for, for genuinely seeking God. I really do. I mean that. But what's holding you back? What is honestly holding you back? Could I strongly encourage you and urge you to decide today, to make that decision today, and by faith to come to God? And by coming to God in faith, you're saying, I can't work it all out. I can't answer all the questions, but I simply trust that you are who you said you are, God. And I trust you today. And if that's you today, if you want to trust God for your present and your future, why don't you just join me in a brief prayer? Let me pray. Father, I realize that you've been tugging at my heart. I realize that you're a good God. And whatever preconceptions that I have that are not good, that that's not you. God, I can't figure it all out, but this much I know that you love me and that you gave your son to die for me. 
I give you my life. I give you my present, and I give you my future. Come and set me free of all of my sin. Take it all away from me because of what Jesus did, and give me your new, full, abundant life. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you've prayed that prayer, I would just encourage you to talk to someone. That's a very important prayer, but please just share it with someone. Now let me address another group of people who are here, to my friends who are part of C4, to those of you who have been here a whole lot longer than I've been here, to my brothers and sisters in Christ. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What decision is God the Holy Spirit pressing you on right now? What is the Holy Spirit saying to us as a corporate body about the good that we know that we ought to do and yet we're not doing it? You know, this week I read again the manifesto of our movement that hasn't changed in over 2,000 years. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common Selling their possessions and their goods, they gave to anyone as he has need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every time I read this, it captures my heart in my imagination, it fills me with such a passion that I believe is from God, and I hope it does the same for you. But look at that manifesto, and look what it calls you and I to. It calls us to a lofty and a high standard. There is so much crammed into those verses that we need to be doing, because if we know the good that we ought to be doing, and we don't do it, James says we sin individually, and corporately. Friends, what would it look like? What would it look like if we lived this kind of a counter-cultural lifestyle in the region of Durham today? You know what I'm convinced of? Everybody would notice. Not because they think we're crazy or we're whacked out. But if we were living this countercultural lifestyle that Jesus came and this movement that he founded and we're followers of, if we were living it to the full and doing the things that we know we ought to do, this place would have 15 or 20 reporters in it every Sunday morning. They'd be coming around and visiting our, our small groups. They'd be connecting with us during the week because they'd want to know what on earth has gotten into these people. See, the call of Jesus is not just to blend in nicely to society and to just be nice people and just to shuffle off to church on Sunday morning. It is a countercultural revolution that he has called us to. And that's the good that we ought to be doing. And that is the lifestyle 
that we need to be living. And I have no stomach to play church. And I know many of you feel the same way. I have no stomach to play church. I want to be more like Jesus. I want the things that break his heart to break my heart. And I'm willing to lay it all on the line for that to happen. Are you? What is God pressing you on? This past week I was in a prayer meeting when someone shared something that God has really been pressing them on. You know these people. They're humble, grace-filled people. And they were reluctant to share, but they've agreed to share. And they've agreed to share because they're willing to step outside of their own comfort zones. They're willing to share with you this morning because in their sharing, it is their heartfelt desire that you will be blessed and that you will be encouraged and that you will be challenged as they share part of their story. And so let's give a huge C4 welcome to Peter and Janice Burns as they come up. Thanks, Dave. As many of you know, Janice and I have been here involved at C4 for many years. We love this place. And as Dave said, we're here today to share what God has been doing most recently in our lives. And as you know from Dave's update last week, we here at C4 are struggling with our giving to meet the budget. Our fiscal year starts in July and as at the end of October, four months into the year, we're running $63,000 behind what we plan to give. And if this trend continues for the balance of the year, we're gonna end up $170,000 below the giving budget. And we are committed not to spend more than what is given. So you need to know that this has really been weighing on my heart over the last few weeks. And I've been asking God, what do we do about this? I need you to tell me, Lord, what can I do? And God has answered that prayer this last week, and I want to share it with you. But before I share that with you, give me a few minutes to tell you a little bit more about Janice and I so you understand where we're coming from. As you know, I work for a bank. If you don't know, I do. And I've been well-trained in how to manage money and how to manage the risk associated with money. I've only worked with one company, 28 years at TD Bank. And for the first 16 years of my career, you need to know, I put the giving to the church at the bottom of our family budget. What I mean by that is we paid all our family expenses first, and then there was a small amount left over which was given to the church. I felt okay with that. But as I grew in my faith of Jesus, I learned about tithing and the idea of being a cheerful giver. I believe God wants us all to be cheerful givers. I wrestled with the concept of 10% tithing for a long time. God kept telling me to do it, and I kept finding excuses why not to. 
And I realize now I was being disobedient. I started to pray for God to show me an easy way to start giving. So that happened on January 1st, 1998. God gave me the opportunity to change my giving. I moved my family to Halifax. It was a, a job relocation. And at that point in my life, I said, okay, God, now's the time to start over. The 10% tithe went to the top of the ledger. It's God's money. First fruits of my labor are his. The family budget went in the reverse order with our tithe at the top. You need to know, the last 12 years since I started that have been incredible. I've learned to say yes to God. I will do it when he presents me with challenges and opportunities. I haven't thrown away my banking training. I'm st still very risk averse. I know what my risk strategy is, though, and how to manage it. It's called taking a step out of my comfort zone and trusting my Lord. So that brings us back to today. We're at a crossroads here, and I want to share with you what God has shared with me this past week. I said we've attended C4 for a long time, less two years away in Halifax and Calgary. You need to know that Janice and I love this place. We love you. We love our pastors. We love everybody here. But most of all, we love and believe in the vision. Janice and I are 100% committed to making room and helping more people come to Christ and become fully devoted followers. But that won't happen if we don't increase our giving. So here's what the Lord has told us to do, and I share it today, not because I want to, but because I believe the Lord has told me to do that. We were praying this week, and God woke me up in the middle of the night, as he does quite a bit. And I was sitting there, talking to God, lying in bed, looking up at the ceiling, asking him, what do you want us to do? I sometimes do. I, I wake up Janice. <laughs> and I said, Janice, this is what God's telling me to do. What do you think? And here it is. We personally, we effective immediately are increasing our tithe from 10% to 11%. And I'm telling you that about us personally, but I'm also telling you that in part to see what God is asking you to do. I encourage you to ask God how you can give. So that's part one. Part two, I couldn't get back to sleep. Lord, what else do you want? So you need to know a little bit about my routine. I try to stay in good shape four mornings every week, 4.45, up on the treadmill and work out for an hour. The fourth day of the week, the Thursday, it's hard, trust me. It's not fun getting up on a treadmill at that hour of the day. But I found it is the place where God talks to me. So Thursday, I actually didn't sleep, just went, bounced up, got on the treadmill and said, okay, Lord, this shortfall, what is it? What do you want us to do? And here's what he told me. To catch up on C4's budget and have a cash reserve in the bank, we need to make up $100,000 now. So here it is. Can each of you consider giving a one-time gift over and above your tithe in the amount of $100, 
$400 or $500. Let me say that again so you heard me. Can each of you consider giving a one-time gift over and above your tithe in the amount of $100, $400, or $500? And we need you to do this by January 31st. If we have 100 people give $100, 100 people give $400, and 100 people give $500, all over and above your normal giving, that'll give us the $100,000 that we need to keep our vision and ministries on track. I know this is not possible for everyone. Given the situation of the economy and jobs, I know that. So please know that any gift you can give over and above your regular giving will help get us back on track. And I pray that you seek God in your own hearts on this. Next week through to Sunday, January 31st, we're going to have special envelopes marked C4 Catch-Up. They'll be in the bulletin for you to use to make your one-time gift. Mark your envelope number on it for tax receipt purposes. See, I am a banker. <laughs> and you know what, Dave? I am committed to this. It's here somewhere. <laughs> I know I have this envelope somewhere. Ah, I have an envelope, but I've lost it. I'm going to give you the first $500. So you really are a banker. Because they lose my money all the time, too. <laughs> uh, sorry. I am, I am stepping up. I'm giving the first $500. And I, I just ask that you pray with me now and uh, ask that God commit this for us all. Mm -hmm. Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing us to be here right now in this place, C4, that I love so much. And I, I pray your blessing on each person here. I pray that they be stirred up and help us to keep on track so that we can see more people come to you and know you as their Savior. Yes, Bless each ministry here. Thank you, Father, for all the people who volunteer, give their time and their money that Dave has told us are the two real tests. Mm -hmm. So, Father, take us now safely, and in your name we ask this. Thank you for joining us. For more teaching, info, or to give financially, please visit us at our website, crotherscreek.ca.